to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Oh, there you are. They're asleep, finally. I don't think I sat down for three days, you know. Before I had one of them, I thought the hardest thing that I'd have to do as a mother would be giving birth. I was wrong. The little one, Simon, was jumping up and down on his bed tonight asking when his bat mitzvah was going to be while the twins were over there throwing around their sister's favorite toy, having a fight over who got to make it the sacrificial lamb. No, I'm the rabbi tonight. No, I get to throw the sacrificial lamb. No, I'm the rabbi tonight. If anyone is going to kill the sacrificial lamb, it's going to have to be me because I'm the one who has to deal with all of you. Admittedly, maybe I shouldn't have given them all cake before bed, but it's Yeshua's 12th birthday. I mean, if the angels can hang a star in the sky for him so large that men come from foreign lands to give him frankincense and myrrh, you'd think I could bake him a cake. And then Yeshua gathered them all around him like, like disciples and started preaching prayer bowls at them. And next thing I know, they're all curled up and sleeping like little lambs. <laughs> I stayed for a while longer to watch him sleep. I haven't done that for a while. He still grunts in his sleep like he did when he was little. Do you know, I think I saw him heal his little brother the other day. Don't look at me like that. Okay, so the little one, Simon, was running around in Joseph's wood shop, which he's not supposed to be able to get into. I've told Joseph to lock it up a million times, but he never does. That's a story for another day. Anyway, Simon is running all through the wood shop, bangs his head on the side of a table, splits his lip open, blood everywhere, and before I can get to him, Yeshua picks his little brother up and comforts him. And by the time I got there, I would swear to you, his lip had sealed itself back up together. Do you know our rabbi, Rabbi Allen, told me last week that he thinks Yeshua may have memorized the Torah. <laughs> I would have told you he was born with it sealed on his soul, but it is nice to have a rabbi agree with me. Did I ever tell you about, oh, what was that prophet? Simeon. Did I ever tell you about the prophet Simeon? So. Yeshua's about a year and a half old, I'm already pregnant again, and I've got Yeshua on my hip. So we're walking up to the temple, we're about to broach the first gate, and out comes this old man. I would have sworn he was as old as Methuselah. And as soon as he sees Yeshua, he falls to his knees very slowly, because he's very old, and starts exclaiming to God, this child, that's how he spoke, this child is destined to bring about the rising and the falling of many in Israel, and to be a sign that is spoken against. And then he looked at me. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and your soul will be pierced with a sword too. I knew then, I've always known. Do you know what it is to place the hope of a nation on the back of a child? To expect the wrath of every jealous king on the sleeping infant at your chest? To flee across the borders of a hostile nation while the screams of your closest friends' dying children echo in your ears. I know what they say about me. Adulterous, whore, slut, liar. But I know who I am. I am the bearer of his life in word, in song, in story, and in birth, and he, he is the fulfilled promise of our almighty God, given to us through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, written about by the prophets, blessed through the line of David, and given to the world through me. My son, and my God. 
And as I stood there tonight, watching him sleep, I trembled. And all I can say is the same thing I did to the angel that night some years ago. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be unto me according to your word. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Can you read this? Right here. Read this. Can you read? read this one? You get to read this one. Can you please read this one? Today is the second of Advent. Who invite you to consider consider the arrival of joy? Hi, I'm Annie Berglund and I'll be reading a poem I wrote about joy. But before I read it, I want to explain what inspired it. Nearly a year ago exactly, my two-year-old niece, Olive, died unexpectedly. My mom called me that morning, telling me through frantic tears that she booked flights for the two of us to travel to California and be with my sister, brother-in-law, and three-year-old niece, Elsie, as they grieved. We arrived at the house that night a house of a friend of my sister's, ironically, on Olive Street. My sister was at the church in prayer, and my brother-in-law gave us long hugs before he left my mother and I to watch Elsie, who was still understandably processing the idea of death and how death could happen to her little sister. It was late, so we got in our PJs and settled in for a long night, perhaps the longest. Three generations snuggled side by side in one big bed, my niece, my mother, and then me. Elsie pleaded for stories, jokes, distractions from a day she'll never forget, and she kept asking us to do something funny. It's what she needed. So my mom and I, in between muffling our sobs and wiping our tears, made up songs with embarrassing lyrics about poop and butts, uh, topics anyone enjoys, whether you're three years old, 28 years old, or 61 years old. Elsie at one point wiggled out of the sheets and grabbed a large light-up Disney book nearby and climbed back into bed. She stood up and spread out her two hands flat on the wall, shoulder length apart. In the pitch darkness, I could still make out her tiny frame as she pressed a button on the book and assumed her position again. With her excited giggles, a brief warning, my mother and I jumped when the music from the book erupted in loud and animated sounds. And as the colors of light danced between red and blue and green on the walls, Elsie began twerking with the ferocity I have never seen before, even from the greats. I laughed so hard that tears of pure, unexplained, unexpected joy mixed on my cheeks and on my shirt with the tears of loss from just a minute before. I learned something that night and this year Joy is ridiculous. It's absurd. It's Elsie dancing in the dark. It's my mom and I singing made-up songs. It stands in our pain and holds us, reminding us of what used to be and what is still good. On the darkest day of my life, I laughed, a real loud, snotty laugh, and I learned that joy in its purest form lives in the edges of sorrow. And as time numbs some of the fresh wounds from Olive's absence, 
Joy lingers and flickers like a flame, a gift that physically and structurally transforms me. This poem is a letter to joy, a plea for it to return and to stay. Because without Olive here, I need joy in her place. Joy. I'm weary from searching for you from dusk until dawn. Those hours in the dark when my mind somersaults and my stomach plummets. I've learned that I'm unable to find you. I'm unable to fabricate you. I've learned that you're elusive, or maybe just subtle, like a fleeting memory or a familiar scent. When I feel I am farthest from you, there you are, twisting my guts in a bittersweet delight. It's not unwelcome, but it is a surprise how you turn up on my door when I least expect it, when I am not out looking. If sorrow is a storm, with blankets of rain, with winds so full you can see where it moves and what it touches, with power so that all are at its mercy, all must adjust, consider, change their steps, their comings and goings. If sorrow is a storm, you are the soft, soothing drops of rain heard through the crashing thunder and mighty wind. The individual drops that patter on my roof slide down the siding and burst into the dirt so that when the storm passes on, the earth maintains its color. I trust that is you. And when I do find you, or rather you find me, I sharply, excitedly, finally inhale again. A gap-toothed, full-faced smile of a child with tears still in her eyes. Please return and draw out laughter in me escaping like an animal freed from its cage, bounding, rushing, panting, aimless and unbridled, unsure of where it's going and how it broke out, but celebrating its survival. Joy, you are survival. So I wait for you with bated breath, because I know that while the night is dark, he made the stars. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Beautiful. Um, well, we're going to sing a couple cares together, so if you would um, join me. Mary's love. 
sing the song of blessing over our kids. So if you have your little ones close by, um, just maybe pull them a little closer and we'll sing the song over them. who is our Advent artist today, and he's going to share about a piece that he made for us. Hello. I'm excited to be part of the Advent series uh, this year. And uh, a lot of times when I presented artwork with Awaken, I've done something that goes more on the darker side of what we've been asked to reflect on. And so this time I thought I'd do something a little bit lighter and reflect on the theme of hope. Um, I'm a hospice chaplain with Alina Hospice, and of course, this pandemic has affected so many people in the, the healthcare community on many different levels in many different ways, depending on the setting. And uh, I'm intrigued by seeing people post pictures of themselves wearing masks. Of course, so many of us are wearing masks. And I felt like there's some sort of portraiture work I wanted to do with that. And so what I decided to do is take portraits of uh, as many coworkers as I could between when I got the idea and doing this recording. Um, and take pictures of them wearing their PPE they're wearing for work, um, but have everyone smiling underneath. Because I think a lot of times right now we're seeing in media, and rightfully so, that so many healthcare workers are just exhausted from everything going on, and you really can see lines just burn in people's faces where masks are being put, um, just lines all over the place, and the portraits are generally people looking very sad, because rightfully so, they're going through a lot and we're going through a lot. Um, but I think what's important to remember for so many healthcare workers and so many people in general, right now, even though it's a difficult time, it's also a time of hope. Hope um, in a vaccination, hope that we know that God is still in control in whatever way that means. Um, it's obviously a complex concept, um, but there's a lot of hope and a lot of really good people who are doing a lot of really amazing work. So the photos I'm sharing, uh, a lot of them are people from my hospice team, but also some uh, facility staff members I managed to bump into while I was working on these portraits. Uh, and I welcome you to enjoy seeing these pictures and note that everyone in these photos is smiling, even if you can't tell behind the PPE. Um, I think even just bringing up that a lot of us in healthcare, you know, we're getting COVID tested twice a week or even more at times. And our noses are getting tired, but we love serving the people we serve, as exhausting as that is. So when you see friends and family who are not only in healthcare, but in any capacity or out there and doing things right now to help each other, let's all remember to be thankful to each other and remember that we're all signs of hope, uh, both for those inside the church and those outside, and that we need Need to remember that hope. So again, thanks for being, uh, for welcoming me to be a part of the Advent series. Um, the work is always amazing that Awaken puts out, and I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Thank you. Well, welcome back, friends, to the second week of Advent, and uh, I love this season. It's my favorite in, in the church calendar. If you're anything like me, uh, and you grew up in a church that maybe didn't value or uh, celebrate the church calendar. Maybe you didn't know that Advent is the beginning of the liturgical season. Um, we begin on the last Sunday of November and all the way up until Christmas move towards and move through the darkest days of the year, especially in Minnesota, uh, the winter solstice, December 21st, friends, the darkest day of the year. And so we do that uh, and we journey through this season and this time. I was with some friends today and they actually reminded me that the first Sunday in Advent is typically a, a Sunday of lament. 
And um, while we move towards Christmas, and it's a season of longing and anticipation and hope for what will come, the light, um, I was reminded not to move too quickly to that, but to actually take time and lament, to name the darkness and the things that maybe aren't present or that we wished for that were outside of ourselves. Um, And so then we move towards Christmas, the coming of God and the uh, the light of God into the world. Emmanuel, God with us. And like much of the spiritual journey, this is about a journey. It's about uh, a pilgrimage, as it were, um, that the soul endeavors to take. And so we cultivate and carve out space and um, notice and tend to places in our hearts, hoping and longing that God would, in fact, meet us there and bring hope and joy, love and peace. And so that's my prayer for you um, this season, uh, that you would find, even in the midst of the darkness, hope and joy, love and peace, Emmanuel, God with us, that you would be reminded that you are not alone. Um, Which actually I was reminded of um, this last Sunday night. Uh, For those of you that came out to our Advent kickoff, our plan C.2-4 of our Advent kickoff, we were planning on having everybody out in front of the street and had barricades to block off the street and we're going to light this Christmas tree and ended up having to, to change those plans. And so many of you came and drove by and uh, saw the staff of the church and got your boxes if you, if you ordered them from Mandy. And um, I'll be totally honest, I needed that a, a bit more than I, than I expected. And so to see you and babies that I hadn't seen, um, I was introduced to some people who had never, this was their first time to the church, like driving up and seeing us. Um, and I was just so, um, I was alive. And I was filled with joy. Um, And so I just want to say thank you. As one of the pastors of Awaken, um, you know, this has been a hard season for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But I think for for a staff of a church who uh, gets into this business because we love people and um, being with people, uh, this has been hard. And so Sunday night was um, a real glimmer of hope and joy for many of us, myself included. So for those that made it, thanks. I know many of you wanted to but couldn't. And can I just say, um, during this whole pandemic thing, I have yet to be disappointed or regret making an effort to be with people. So I I was talking to somebody and they're like, I didn't want to go. We were talking about not coming. And then sure enough, we came and and it was everything they needed it to be. So for the next time when we do something like that, if you're on the fence, make it. Be there. Show up. uh, And I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, So, this morning, we move to our second prophet in the Christmas story. It is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so much can be said about Mary, right? Uh, We're in a Catholic church, venerated by the Catholic church. The catechism teaches that Mary was the first dwelling place of God in salvation history and as such decorated. She is the master work of God, the start of God bringing mankind in communion with Jesus. And so... um, The theophany, the showing, the revealing of God happens in and through Mary. So venerated by many and and the source of our text this morning, uh, Mary's song, also known as the Magnificat. There are four songs in Luke's gospel, Simeon's song, uh, Zachariah's song, the angel's song, and Mary's song. And if I'm not mistaken, I think, uh, I'll go out on a limb here, but I, I think I'm I'm pretty close. Um, The Magnificat is uh, the source and inspiration of more choral and orchestral music than any other passage of scripture in the Bible. So this is a heavy hitter, friends. Don't fall asleep on this one. Um, So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to slow down a little bit. I want to take a couple of deep breaths and just sit with Mary. I want to notice what she notices. I want to feel what she feels. I want to try to get into the tone and tenor of this song that you heard read earlier by uh, by our family who read. and, and I hope that this song, Mary's song, begins to work its way into our lives and into our hearts and into uh, our minds. Because when you really start to pay attention to what's being said, you see that like the foundation for the kingdom of God, the, uh, the, the, the elements that make up the gospel, the good news about Jesus coming to the world, are present in Mary's song. So that's what we want to do. Um, first, I would say it this way. Uh, I want to notice the first and the last. Um, and this is more of a noticing than, than anything else, but uh, a noticing of the prophets, the mothers, and the songs that are produced by the first and last prophets of Israel. So um, if I say to you it was the best of times and the, or it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom and the age of foolishness, you would, of course, say Dickens. 
easy, right? Tale of Two Cities. If I were to say to you, there was a boy named Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it, you would say, easy, Lewis, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The first, the opening line of a, of a novel, and I would argue the closing chapter or the closing paragraph of a novel or a story are critical, right? The opening sentence, the, the, the author is setting the trajectory. They're, they're introducing you to the things that are going to be important in the story and the lines that, and the threads that are going to be woven through. And then at the end, it's kind of like the last moment, the last opportunity for the storyteller to wrap up all that's been said. And uh, it's like the culmination of what the author was trying to say. And here's what I find interesting about Mary's song. If you think about the first prophet of Israel and the last prophet of Israel, you're thinking about Samuel and you're thinking about Jesus. Samuel, who was the son of Hannah. If you remember the story in the Old Testament, Hannah prays to the Lord for a son. We dedicate our babies because when she finally had Samuel, she took him to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. Same story, same guy. Hannah's the mother of Samuel and Samuel is considered by many to be the first prophet of Israel. If Jesus is then the last prophet of Israel and Mary is his mother, here's something very fascinating to me. Both women bear these children and both of them respond. They both write, sing, offer these songs in which they are declaring and speaking about the thing that they believe God has done and is doing in and through them. So Hannah uh, does the same thing. She bears Samuel, writes this song, and in it she's declaring exactly what she believes God has done and will do in and through her and this child. Mary's the same way. Prior to him being born, she, she pours out her soul to the Lord, and out comes this song where she's declaring what she believes will happen and is being done in and through her and this Jesus who will come into the world. And what we find is that these two songs are nearly identical. The first prophet and the last prophet, the mothers who offered songs, the first gasp of, of what God is doing in and through the prophet and the last gasp in, in and through Jesus are basically the same song. Here's a couple of examples. In Hannah, my heart exalts in the Lord. My, and these are excerpts from, from each song. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in victory. The bows of the warriors are broken but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now let's think Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on me with favor, the lowliness, the humble servant. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud, the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Two different songs from hundreds of years apart, generations apart. Same family, same worship, or the same God, but the same themes that you hear, right, in each song. In each of them, you see humility and the wonder of being chosen by God for such a task. The lifting up of the humble and the poor, the exposing of the rich and the arrogant, the scattering of the proud, the thrones and kings being brought down from their high places and the lowly and the poor being lifted up and recognized. If God were to write a story and the first gasp of breath and the last exhale of that story mattered, then what we find in the songs of Hannah and of Mary the mothers of the first and the last prophets, they're the same story. It's the same message, as if God were trying to say, the author of this story, if you miss this, you're missing everything that I'm doing. So first, as we think about Mary and the song that she offers, I want to connect it to Hannah, the mother of the first prophet, the mother of the last prophet, the first chapter of the book, the, the opening line and the closing sentence. And it's the same sentence, it's the same story, it's the same tone being struck in each of them, as if the author is saying, if you miss what's happening here, you run the risk of missing the whole thing. So the first and the last. Second thing I want to notice is that I would say it this way, the insides match the outside. When we first started Awaken 10 years ago, it's hard to believe that that's true, but we, we, uh, we named a number of things that would be of value in our community, and authenticity was one of them. The way that we would talk about authenticity is that our insides, we wanted our insides to match our outsides, which is actually a quote from John Foreman, who fronts the band Switchfoot. Uh, I was watching an interview with him a long, long ago, and he was talking about this song, 24. 
And he says this, he says, one of the lines is, I want to be one today, centered and true. Then he said, this is a song about our insides matching our outsides. It's a song about becoming whole and integrated people. And as I was prepping, uh, prepping for this teaching, I found this blog by uh, a, poem, a poet named Jan Richardson, where she explores this idea. So let's go ahead and stick with it for, for Mary's song. Um, do you notice what's happening in Mary and her interior life is the same thing that God is intending to do in the world? Like her insides are matching God's outside. For Mary, the change in her is connected to the transformation beyond her, outside of her. Like what's happening in Mary, literally in her womb, but then also in her spirit, and how she's experiencing God is congruent with what God is wanting to do in the world and through Jesus. She's humble, humble and lowly, undeserving of this honor and joy, and yet she's chosen by God, seen by God, invited by God to participate in the divine life, used by God to bring about goodness and joy and hope in the world. In Christ, God sees humanity, chooses humanity, invites us into the divine life to be used by God to bring about the kind of change that God is interested in bringing about. What's stirring in Mary is connected to what God wants to do in the world. Now, of course, this is a story about giving birth to a child, and I, but I want to broaden it. I want to include you know, men, women, children, people who can and can't have children. So this Advent season, I guess I would invite you to consider this question. What is stirring in you that's connected to what God wants to do in the world? What are the things happening in your interior life that are connected to the hopes and dreams of God for the world? In Mary, we find that these two things are running side by side, congruent with one another. What's happening in Mary's heart is what God intends to do for the world. Jan Richardson poses the question this way. What is God seeking to bring forth in my life that enables me to participate in the transformation that God is working in all of creation. I'll say that one again. What is God seeking to bring forth in my life that enables me to participate in the transformation that God is working in all creation? So the first and the last, these mothers who offer these songs, which are eerily similar to one another. Then you have this interior life of Mary, its congruence, its connectedness to the mission, the hopes, the dreams of God in the world. And lastly, I guess I would want to pause and, and mention or see this in Mary's song. And I would say, uh, say it this way, the great reverse. Um, I had a, a roommate in college. His name was Alec. He drove a purple Ford probe. That has nothing to do with anything. Um, but Alec was, we were both learning how to play the guitar, you know, two young college kids cutting their teeth on Dave Matthews and some worship song. I think Lord I Lift Your Name on High was real big back then. So we played that one a lot in, in, in uh, what did they call that? Not uh, chapel. That's what it was, chapel. So Alec was my roommate in college, and Alec loved the band Pegtop. Now, I had no idea who Pegtop even was, but I came to find out that a guy named Matt Patrick, who, producer of great music in the Twin Cities, the, the likes of Elizabeth Honeycutt and uh, Ben Rosenbush and many others, was actually in the band Pegtop before I ever knew Matt, before any of you ever knew Matt. He was in Pegtop. They had this song called The Great Reverse where they talked about the upside-down nature of the kingdom, the, the way in which the tables sort of get turned when you start talking about Jesus and the way of Jesus. Now, if you've been around Awaken long enough, this is probably review to you, but it bears repeating because if you're serious about the Bible and the story in the Bible, if you're serious about the life of Jesus and the way of Jesus, and you miss this, you don't have the good news. You don't have, uh, uh, you, you miss out on the good news according to the Bible. And this is the great reverse that we see in Mary's song. Think about all the ways we measure things in our world. Um, everything is up and to the right. You know what I mean? All the ways we determine success and, and whether someone makes it or happiness, more often than not, they have to do with money and power and possessions. If you make more money, you win. If you, have, uh, if you, if you get more power, you win. If you have mo the most possessions, you're a winner. But from the opening lines of Mary's song, you hear a different tune, don't you? A different tone, a different tenor. It's like a different tuning fork has been struck and Mary and Luke and the scriptures themselves are just constantly asking the question, can you hear it? It's a different scorecard and it's counterintuitive to the world that we live in. 
And the idea is that success and fulfillment and joy and happiness comes not from serving oneself, but actually when you get outside of yourself. When you begin to see the hope, the joy, the success, the, 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 uh, the lifting up of others instead of yourself. That's the idea that it's offering. It's the great reverse. It's the kingdom of God. It's the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Mary, she's ordinary. She's a teenager. She's unwed. Everything's working against her. And yet in this song, she's declaring that God is choosing to work in her and through her, which is the great reverse. So here's a question for you. If this song taps into this thread of this great reverse, this upside down kingdom, this uh, the, the turning of the tables in terms of how we measure and, and the scorecard that we use, what are the great reverses needed to hap- what are the great reverses that need to happen in our day? What are the, what are the stories or, or the, the sta- what's the status quo that goes unquestioned? And I was thinking about this, what are the great reverses that need to happen in our day? And we just watched this movie the other night, it was called Jingle Jangle. The story of Christmas or something like that. It's new on Netflix this year. One of the downsides of COVID is that there aren't any new movies going, uh, coming out, but this one's one of them. And in this movie, the only character of significance that was white is Hugh Bonneville. You know, Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey. Everybody else of significance in the movie is a person of color, which is part of one of the many tra- one of one of the reasons why Chadwick Boseman's uh, death was so tragic for the first time in my life that I can remember we had a black male as the hero someone that you would look up to and and seek to be like i think that's one of the great reverses that needs to happen more people of color and indigenous people who are heroes in the stories in the films taking center stage that our kids are longing to be like I was talking with Laura about this sermon and this idea of the great reverse, and she said, she asked this question, and I was sort of stopped in my tracks. She said, what if we replaced all the white men in government with women and people of color? What do you think would change? Mary's song are the words of Mary, the prophet of Christmas, a prophet who is nourishing, evoking, nurturing, a perception and imagination that is alternative to the perception and imagination of her day. And I think her words are still doing that work today. So as we close this morning, God is writing a story in the Bible and in the story of Christmas. The mother of the first prophet and the mother of the last prophet, Jesus, are saying the same thing, as if with God's first gasp of breath and last exhale in the story, God is saying, don't miss this. Because if you do, you miss the whole, you miss the thread that's woven all the way through the story. What is happening in Mary is congruent with what God is doing in the world. So what is God seeking to bring forth in you, in your life, this Advent, that is congruent, that's connected, that enables you to participate in the work that, what, in the work that God wants to do in the world? And last, what are the great reverses that need to happen in you, in me? What are the scorecards that we're playing by that in the end don't seem to matter in God's economy? What are the great reverses that God wants you to participate in? Wants me to participate in, wants our church to participate in, where we begin to turn the tables and say, actually, the way of Jesus leads us down this path, not that path. When Mary finds out she's pregnant by the angel in Luke's gospel, she says, be it unto me just as you say. And I wonder if you can say that today. I trust you, spirit at work. Be it unto me just as you say. Be it unto me just as you deem fit. Be it unto me just as you see. I want to invite you this morning, wherever you've come from, whatever you bring into this, however you got here, to maybe pray as much of that prayer with as much faith as you can this morning. This Advent season, Holy Spirit, be it unto me just as you say, just as you wish, just as you see. And maybe Mary's song will keep doing the work that it started doing so many years ago in us. Pray with me if you will. God, this morning, as we move to just a few moments of silence,
I pray and trust that you are working uh, in this moment, in all the moments that this recording will be listened to or seen. And I pray that in the next few moments of silence that we take, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move and work and um, unearth the things that need to be looked at, addressed, paid attention to, tended to, cultivated, nourished in each of us. So Holy Spirit, do your work, I pray.
Friends, it's been good to be together. Um, before we move to communion in the table, I just want a couple of things that we want to make sure you know about uh, that are happening in the life of the community. If you're new to Awaken, by the way, um, it, it blows me away that there are still new people who are finding us and we've never met. So if that's you, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, there's a, a digital welcome card on our website on the front page. If you would mind filling that out, uh, we would love to know that you're here and we'll get in touch with you. A um, couple of things for community life that are going on. Uh, the winter market's happening, so on our website, a um, bunch of our artists have links to their stuff where they're selling their wares, and please support them. This has been a tough season for artists, uh, for lots of people, but certainly artists, so please support them. Um, missional grants, uh, we talked about $15,000, five grants, $3,000 a piece um, for ministries and organizations uh, connected to COVID relief and race and justice and reconciliation work, anti-racism work. So um, we want to know who they are. We've got two proposals already. So um, if you have an organization that you would love to donate to and have Awaken be connected to, uh, let us know who it is. Uh, all the information is online. Um, I have terrible news, um, but our Tides of Winter concert uh, is going to be canceled, friends. Um, which, you know... What do you say? COVID um, changes all of our plans. So unfortunately, um, you know, at the end of the day, when we gathered around and the people who were putting this thing together uh, talked about doing it, uh, just a level of uncomfort rose to the point of, I don't think we should do this concert. So um, here's to 2021, maybe, and having Tides come and uh, lead us in a concert. So... Um, and last but not least, Advent Watch, last day to register. So um, please pay attention to the things online and in the Awaken Weekly, and uh, all those things are there. So um, to the table we go, friends. Uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Uh, don't forget the things that I've taught you the way in which I was human and walked through this world. And um, in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so friends, as we come to this table, um, we're reminded that this is not the church's table, but it is the Lord's table. Uh, it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, if you've been here a lot, with a lot, if you have much faith or you have a little bit of faith, if you've been here often or maybe not for a really long time or ever before, um, if you've tried to follow and failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, they're for you. Um, come not because I invite you, but because Jesus invites you to be fed and known at the table. So as you take the bread, I'd invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ is broken for you. Take and eat. And as you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. And as you go on your way to whatever it is you have before you this week, know that the Lord goes with you. Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lifts up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord lifts up his countenance to you and gives you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Happy Advent. facebook.com backslash awaken community or on twitter awaken community see you next time